Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast, or welcome if you are new here. I am so freaking excited about today's episode. You know, when you wake up and you just know it's going to be a good day, that's how I feel about sitting down right now to record this episode. I just know it's going to be a good episode. But before I get into that, I should introduce myself if you've never been here before. My name is Mallory Page. I'm a registered dietitian, and I'm also the creator of this show. And I wanted to make this podcast because I saw a huge gap in the wellness, nutrition, recovery field or areas in the sense that there really isn't a lot that's shared from a non-diet perspective. And most of what you encounter, whether you're on the internet looking through social media, or talking with someone in the day-to-day is more of a diet culture type of perspective. And so I thought, how cool would it be to have a show that shares about the alternate perspective on topics that are either in the news or frequently talked about? And today's podcast topic really feels like it's the epitome of Seems Like Diet Culture because we are talking about fear-mongering within the wellness, nutrition, fitness, recovery space. This topic is so large, so we're definitely not going to be able to get into every single intimate detail or intricacy of this topic, but I do have a lot to say because I'm very passionate about this. I see the effects of fear-mongering on people every single day in my DMs, in my group coaching programs, and in my conversations with people in my life. And I think it's time that we expose this and open up the conversation so that we can stop the damage that can be done through fear-mongering. So the first thing that we need to talk about is what the heck even is fear-mongering? It is the action of deliberately arousing public fear or alarm about a particular issue. As you can probably notice, fear-mongering is not specific to wellness. It can be in any area, but of course today we're going to be talking about it within the wellness field. So then you may be wondering, what does this look like in the wellness field? To be honest, it can look so many different ways And that's what makes it hard to fully cover. But to give you a concrete example, I'm actually going to read to you the post that I saw that spurred me wanting to discuss this because it really is, in my opinion, quintessential fear-mongering. So here is the post. Oat milk in your coffee is making you anxious. Instead of giving you energy, it is making you crash. Oat milk is basically juiced oats with extra sugar, flavors, and preservatives. You are taking a grain that is already quickly absorbed as glucose into the bloodstream and speeding up absorption. You're destabilizing blood sugar with oat milk alone. Then you add coffee to it. You set the perfect stage for anxiety and energy crashes since cortisol, your stress hormone, is responsible for elevating blood glucose levels after they crash. So that post is a lot. And as you were listening to it, maybe you experienced a rise in blood pressure followed by a sequence of thoughts such as, oh my gosh, is oat milk making me anxious? And is it making me raise my cortisol levels, which is wreaking havoc on my body and causing all of these problems with my blood sugar? And if oat milk is the problem, what alternative milk am I supposed to have? I don't even like other milks and I don't know which ones are good because everyone says something bad about each milk and so on and so forth. That feeling and thought process in and of itself 
is the product of fear-mongering. Because when you read that, or when you heard it, or when you come about the information, however you do, there was a level of fear that was incited within you. Now, I want to point out that not every single person is going to have the same reaction to that post that I just read. For example, when I read that post, I didn't feel fear. I just felt agitation because on my end, I had the knowledge being a dietitian to know that that wasn't the case. There may be things that would be similar for you, that you would know that something isn't true, and so it wouldn't incite this fear for you because we all have different knowledge bases and understanding of different topics. But what makes something particularly effective as a fear-mongering tactic is a few things. Number one, speaking in a way that shows credibility, even if someone isn't credible. So this reel puts together a lot of kind of scientific sounding jargon that comes about from some real facts that are taken out of context and some things that are not facts at all. And it puts it together in a way that makes this person seem as if they know what they're talking about. And that credibility is particularly powerful, especially when paired with someone that actually does have a quote-unquote credential. The person that I mentioned in this reel was a nutritionist, but I mean, they were not anyone that had extensive schooling when I looked at it. So that combination specifically puts a person in the position of being credible even if they're not. Now, the second thing is using the right tactic for the right audience. So in my opinion, recently we have seen a lot of people, especially in younger generations, that are very aware of diet culture. They have a pretty good idea when something is overtly diet culture, like dieting in and of itself, you know, like doing a slim fast shake or seeing those billboards for hydroxy cut or whatever things that feel quintessential diet culture. But the new way that diet culture is weaving its way into people's lives, especially younger people, is through wellness culture because a lot of wellness culture is just diet culture in disguise. So this particular TikTok being targeted at a younger audience, since it is on TikTok, is very effective because of the fact that it comes off as wellness culture, even though underneath it, it is diet culture. And people right now still give a lot of respect to wellness. That's kind of the focus right now within the health field. Now, number three, speaking in extremity. I know this one almost seems counterintuitive because we would think that most of the time we gravitate towards people that are kind of in the in-between or the middle ground. But actually what we see as the most popular is really the extreme claims, whether it be online or in person. And I think there's a ton of reasons that we could analyze as to why that is. But one huge reason in terms of social media is because those are the things that go the most viral. They get the most comments, whether they be positive or negative. They get the most shares, whether they be making fun of it or just saying that this is true. And when something has that extreme position, it naturally is going to incite a higher emotional response than something that is more neutral because 
that's just kind of how we work, right? Anything that's really polarizing in that sense. So this piece of content has all three of those things, at least for most people, I would say. But I bet you can imagine how these things can show up in other pieces of content or other conversations that you have with someone and bring about a similar feeling. Now that we've talked about the what's of fear-mongering, we need to go into the why's, starting off with why the heck does this happen? There are two main reasons I usually see. The first one being that someone that doesn't have formal education in a certain topic or has not extensively researched a topic speaks about said topic as if they are an expert or as if their experience or what they are sharing is universal fact. Now, I want to really emphasize here that there is absolutely nothing wrong at all with someone that's not a quote-unquote expert or that doesn't have schooling or research background to share about experiences. All of our experiences are valuable, and it's definitely something that I encourage people to share. The big difference here is If you share about something as if what you are sharing is the truth and you don't give the disclaimer that you don't have any of those things I mentioned or that this is just your anecdotal experience, it can become false information and even something that can become fear-mongering because someone can get that information and take it in a way that is very serious and then have those emotions incited like we talked about. This is a lot of what we see online because everyone wants to share their thoughts and opinions, but as I mentioned, people gravitate towards extremes, and so sharing in an extreme way online gets a lot more views, it has a lot more interest, and so there's motivation for people to do it. And even if someone is completely well-intentioned, it doesn't take away the impact that this can have. The example that comes to mind for this is Kenzie Burke, period, exclamation point. If you were a part of that food combining era and you remember that, wow, can we just take a moment? I'm pretty sure she has something new out and I haven't even had the heart to look at it, but she is the definition of this form of why fear-mongering happens. The second reason I see is someone that actually has education, but they're using it particularly to alarm their audience. So they share something, whether it is fact or fact out of context or slightly misconstrued facts or something completely made up, and they say it in a way that is so extreme that it generates this fear and they know they're doing it. They may not know that it's as harmful as it is. They may think that it's justified, and I think a lot of them do, but either way, it is still fear-mongering. So people that fall under this category, carnivore diet guy, glucose goddess, Bobby, that grocery store guy, and honestly, so many other people online. There are people in every category, including dietitians, therapists, doctors, all different areas that do this type of stuff. And 
the variety of reasons as to why this can happen are endless. A lot of what I see is kind of that example that I read to you guys. It's taking a bunch of facts that are kind of misconstrued or out of context and putting them together in a way that feels convenient for their bias. Or it's taking pieces of research that aren't fully factual or aren't extensive and then blowing it out of proportion. The carnivore diet guy does that all the time. And it's extremely frustrating because people are trusting this person as an expert and they are taking that power that they have and using it purposely to be harmful, whether they recognize that or not. I think that a caveat I want to add here as to why I'm saying whether they recognize it or not is because the issue is, is that some of these people's mindsets have become so skewed that they truly believe that a certain food or a certain action is so harmful or so helpful that by sharing it in this way, they are saving lives. But really, they're totally disregarding the harm of what they're doing in comparison to the small benefits that it could be bringing about for a very minuscule part of the population or of their audience. But in saying all of this, why is it that people do this? I think we've already touched on a few reasons here, but the bigger one that I really want to drive home specifically for the latter archetype that I just mentioned is they are profiting off of this. They profit off your fear because fear is a large driver of sales. It's a large influence. We've seen this in history time and time again. And we see this when we look at people's buying patterns. If people have a certain level of fear, they are much more likely to act out of action or act out of emotion than they are out of common sense or through thinking something through. An example of this that is extreme but demonstrates this point is whenever there is some sort of looming potential disaster coming. So I know that two years ago we had a freeze here in Austin, Texas, and we were getting all of these weather alerts about how the freeze was coming, and it was generating a lot of fear, rightfully so, because it was a very tragic event that ended up happening. But within that fear, we saw people go out and purchase every single thing out of the grocery store, stock up for months at a time, and whether we're not talking about whether the fear was justified or not justified. Obviously, there's a natural disaster coming. That's a scary thing. But what I'm trying to elicit with this point is that people act quickly when they have that and they listen to the person in power that's giving them that information. So in that case, they're listening to that weather channel. They're listening to Austin Energy, who's giving us updates about the power that is something, I meant power in that sense, as in like electrical power, I'm mixing the two powers there. And when you really think about it in that way, it shows how messed up this can be, that people want to elicit that reaction in their audience for their own gain. 
And again, they may not recognize that they're doing it, but it doesn't change the impact of what they're doing. And don't even get me started on the fact that a lot of the facts that they're giving or tips or things that they're saying are awful are so out of touch. You know, they're things that most of the general population couldn't afford to avoid or afford to get, or they're very particular in terms of the area of which they could get it. Like, oh, you need to go to Erewhon because that's the only one that doesn't cook with seed oils. Like, not everyone has an Erewhon. Not even ever. Not everyone even has a grocery store within hours of them. So again, I would go on a whole rage rant for us. So that's, that's not good. But that's a big reason as to why you see that within these educational or practitioner positions. When it comes to the person that's just sharing their experience, there's so much variety to that. I think that naturally when we have something that works for us, many of us want to share. And that's just kind of how we are as humans. And I think there's an inherently good nature to that. I don't think people most often are trying to be harmful when they're sharing something that's worked for them, even if it is misguided. But I think this is, in this case, it's more of the education on how much of an impact your words and actions and what you share can have on someone else. Because I think people would be shocked to know that someone going on their For You page or going on their TikTok and sharing how they became quote-unquote healthier by eliminating all processed foods can then be the catalyst to someone, like, starting their eating disorder again. And I'm not saying that we have to be responsible for everybody's triggers because that would be impossible. But I think it should add awareness about how we speak on something. Because there's a big difference between saying, I've been doing this thing. It's been working for me. I haven't researched it. I'm not a dietitian or whatever it is. And saying, everyone needs to do this because it reduces inflammation, helps you lose weight, and is the only way to be healthy. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of the content online is the second that I just explained. It is that extremity behind it because I don't think there's that full awareness of how these actions can affect people. So you may be wondering where we go from here or what things we need to know about fear-mongering. Number one, we need to recognize and By saying we, I'm not necessarily talking to you guys. I'm more talking about the social media sphere and people are discussing this. We need to recognize that correlation does not imply causation. I wish I could get this tattooed to my body. (laughs) I don't actually, but I just cannot undersell how important this concept is. So correlation is a mutual relationship or connection between two or more things. Versus causation is saying that something is able to cause a change in another thing. When we look at the two and compare them, we can see that correlation between variables does not automatically mean that a change in one variable is the cause of a change in the values of another variable. Causation, however, indicates that one event 
is the result of the occurrence of another event. An example that is used to illustrate this is the ice cream and homicide rate correlation. So there have been correlations that show that when people eat more ice cream, more people end up getting killed. Now, the importance of this is that correlation does not equal causation. So people eating more ice cream doesn't actually cause more people to get killed or an increased number of homicides, but more likely than not, it's the fact that in the summer, people eat more ice cream, and in the summer, people are more likely to commit homicide that then correlates these two things together. That example in and of itself shows the importance of not just acting as if a correlation is the same thing as a causation. The issue that comes about in examples like the one that I shared with you earlier is that people pose their information as if correlations are causations and because they're not as unlikely of pairs or because not everyone has the baseline knowledge that they're sharing or it sounds really scientific, these things almost just quote-unquote make sense and therefore people can take them as fact. So to say that oat milk causes anxiety would be a correlation at best. We don't even know for sure if those two things are statistically correlated or not because we don't have research on it, but it would be a correlation at best. There's never going to be causation. I shouldn't say never because you never know what could happen, but it's a 0.01% chance that there will ever be oat milk causing anxiety. Now, you can see why this all gets mixed up, though. Because the oat milk being in the coffee, that coffee actually has been shown to cause increased anxiety. This is pretty well researched that caffeine and or coffee can increase anxiety, and that is a causal relationship. But you can't then say that that oat milk causes anxiety and or that because cortisol affects blood sugar, that oat milk then affects blood sugar that then affects cortisol, and so on and so forth. Making those jumps is particularly what makes this type of information so extremely harmful. Because of everything I just mentioned, the second thing that I would say is important in terms of where we go from here is not trusting anything that you see online unless it is proven to deserve that trust. I feel like how most of us go through social media, and I am totally guilty of this in other areas that I don't understand as well, is that we trust everything that we see unless proven otherwise. But what I would suggest, especially for wellness, nutrition, recovery, fitness information, is actually don't trust anything unless you go and research it. Because not only do people unintentionally misinform, people also intentionally misinform, and you wouldn't want to be getting caught up in that information, especially with what this type of misinformation can end up doing to you. And that is the third thing that I want to bring up, 
If we're going to talk about the negative effects of any wellness practice or lack of doing a wellness practice, we need to look at the full picture and stop just highlighting one small piece of the puzzle. You guys know I talk about the wellness wheel all the time, and the wellness wheel is just a more comprehensive look at wellness that includes a lot of different areas, and only one small area of that is physical wellness, and in that small area, there are different segments that connect to nutrition and fitness, and yet most often when we talk about wellness, we blow that part out of proportion, and it leads to us neglecting these other pieces of the wellness wheel. To once again go back to our oat milk example, it's interesting how this creator is sharing about oat milk in causing anxiety. But this whole long rant that they have had most people in the comments feeling very overwhelmed and wondering what they were supposed to do, if this was actually true, And for some, it causes some sort of spiral that can actually, in fact, make them anxious. And this is something we see very commonly around food rules or fear-mongering around food, is that people believe they're being helpful with what they're sharing, but actually, they're contributing to another type of stress for that person. Within this example with the oat milk, we know that that information would be better off not shared because it's not even factual. So there's no way that this is helpful because it's not true based off of research. And other examples that are more similar to what I was sharing in line with people in educational positions sharing facts but in a way that's extreme we then have to weigh whether the information being shared is more helpful than it is harmful. So, for example, sharing that fruits and veggies can be a helpful addition to your day. That's well-researched. That's a fact that pretty much everyone can accept. But if we were to say you have to eat X amount of vegetables every single day, and if you don't, you won't be as healthy as you could be. Do you see how the extremity of which it's shared is part of what brings about the emotions and the fear? We can take a fact and share it in a way that doesn't feel so aggressive. And that is super important in terms of changing the environment around wellness to make it feel less scary and more welcoming from people for people. Honestly, I could talk about this topic all day long and we could go through 1 million different examples together. And honestly, almost every single podcast on seems like diet culture has some element of fear-mongering that's involved in the story, even if it's not explicitly said. And that's why I feel that this episode is so important for anyone to listen to, because I want you guys to feel more equipped 
in sifting through what could actually be false information, what could be someone saying true information but doing so in a way that's overly extreme or specifically trying to push you into having an emotional reaction that really isn't beneficial in the long run. And be more confident in what you want to listen to and what you want to engage with as well. Because the most important thing out of anything is you feeling your best. We are all unique. We all have different things that work for us. And I don't want you guys to ever forget that as you're encountering information like this through social media, talking with someone, or wherever else you may get this. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you went through this and you're a practitioner and you felt like you knew all this information, but you're still struggling to walk clients through these specific examples and help them to understand why that stuff is factually incorrect, how to compare and contrast when something is truly beneficial to them or when something isn't, and ultimately how to choose to feel their absolute best but in a non-diet way instead of a really diet culture entrenched way, I highly suggest checking out my program, Live Unrestricted for Practitioners. Applications are currently open for our next round and our last round of the year. We don't know when we'll be running it again. So if this is something that sounds like it could align with you, if you're a dietitian, a nutritionist, a health coach, a therapist, personal trainer, anyone, you could join into this group. I will include the link in the show notes and it has tons more information about it. And I'm going to be doing free consults all throughout the next week or so. So highly suggest booking one of those so we can chat more about logistics and if it's a good fit. But that's all that I have for today. As usual, if you ever have any feedback you want to give, whether that be leaving a rating, leaving a review, sending this to someone really anything that you want. I feel like there's other things, but I'm not having them come to mind right now. It's so appreciated. It means so much to me. And I can't wait to see you guys next week.